Our passage this morning is from Paul's epistle to the Philippians, uh, chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. Verses 4 through 7 are part of a larger paragraph and admonition that continues through verse 9. We're going to split it up and look at uh, the, admoni- the, the general admonition in verses 4 and 5, and then the particular way to implement that in verses 6 and 7 today, and next week, verses 8 and 9 together. But they form part of a whole, and I'm going to read um, Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9, even though we're only going to pay attention in the sermon today, verses 4 through 7. It's important to note that uh, always in Scripture that we don't lift things out of their context, that we keep them in their place and, and understand how they, they do, uh, just like any writing, uh, is part of a whole. Uh, in elementary school, you're taught that you discover the meaning of any particular thing by context, context, context. And uh, that is a, a fundamental Uh, way we understand, and so that's why we're reading a little bit larger passage this morning. That's why we read a larger passage generally every time, Uh, but uh, that's the reasoning. Before we go to the passage, let's go to the Lord in prayer, though, because without His Holy Spirit, uh, these uh, will not affect us. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we come again this morning in the name of Christ. We come in the name of Christ to beseech the Uh, Holy Comforter, the Advocate that you have given us through Him, your Holy Spirit. And we ask that as you gave your Spirit under Paul to teach infallibly your church, that you would give your church today your Holy Spirit, that we might be infallibly taught by your Word. That Christ would be magnified, uh, that Christ and uh, your expectation and your will for us will be written upon our heart, that we would receive it, and that it might bear fruit in our lives, that it might be your living word to us. And we ask, dear Lord, that we would indeed bear the fruit of repentance of sin, that we would trust all the more you in Christ Jesus, and that we would give ourselves to obedience in joy. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Here now, the reading of God's Holy Word from Paul the Apostle's epistle to the Philippians, chapter 4, verses 4 through 9. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, and if there be any praise, think on these things. Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me, do, and the God of peace shall be with you. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord abides forever, and his people said, Amen. Amen. Here we have Paul, and this is the 
last great admonition of the epistle to the Philippians. It will go on. We'll, we'll continue to look um, uh, at the epistle because there's more things to be said. But he is wrapping up what he's saying. He's giving, he's, we saw last week, his admonition to a potential problem in the church in the way that uh, two great servants of the church, Euodius and Syntyche, were in whatever way pulling apart from each other. And how the church had a, a vestige interest, really, in, in bringing them back together and could bring them back together because Christ is uh, the focal point of all of his followers. We humble ourselves before him, and therefore whatever conflict we might have with a brother or sister in Christ, it is of a secondary importance. And it can be subsumed under the greater task and duty we have to the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and all that Paul has said about, about humbling ourselves in chapter 2, about being committed to Christ alone in chapter 3, all of those reinforce and, and really give strength to that, to that following through when the, when, when the rubber hits the road, as it were. Uh, when the time counts. And this is uh, going forward. He's spoken to a particular situation. Now he's giving a general situation. And the admonition is, as so beautifully put in verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. And he reinforces it. Again, I say rejoice. Uh, but part of that is also verse 5. Uh, Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. What Paul is saying here is that it is a duty. It's, it's a duty, but it's also, I mean, let's not forget the admonition. It's rejoice, okay? So sometimes, and, and to be honest, this falls right back to original sin, right back to the fact that we're fallen people, right back to the fact that every time we hear us do this, we want to say no, and every time we hear don't do this, we want to do it. That sinful heart that is within us. And so we hear... What ought to be joy and gladness, rejoice in the Lord always, is still given as a duty and as a command. And, and this is a part of our work. And it is part of the Christian life, our citizenship in heaven. That, that conversation that has to conform to our, our ultimate destiny where the heavens and the earth are married together. And, and the resurrection to eternal life is our settled reality. That all of that being real to us, there is an expectation then that we will go through this life with a settled, constant joy. Now, this is a joy in the Lord. Uh, the, Paul is telling them, and this is why verse 5 is a, an important adjunct to verse 4, uh, that this joy in the Lord is not determined, the joy is not for the Christian determined by your circumstances in this life, but by being in the Lord. And we don't believe we go in and out of the Lord. We don't believe that the Lord forgets us. We don't believe that Jesus Christ, who came to save his sheep, can have any of them snatched out of his hand, as he tells us plainly in John chapter 10. And therefore, if we are his, we are always his. Remember what Paul says to the Philippians in chapter 1, verse 6, that which he has begun, he is faithful to complete. 
And therefore, since our being in the Lord is constant, our joy to that fact also must be con- constant. Um, so often, and this was an observation in the ancient world, there's whole philosophies built up around this, uh, and, and we see it playing out in our modern world, that mankind forgets himself. That he forgets that he is not an animal that is pushed around as a reaction to every stimuli in the world around him. That he forgets that he doesn't have to be reactive, that he has some control over who he is. We call this free will, and and even uh, our Reformed heritage is very adamant. This is our free will. We have within ourselves the capacity uh, to be who we are. And animals, they are reacting to stimuli. But so often the misery of human beings is because they are behaving like animals. Something bad happens, they feel bad. Something good happens, they feel good. But only as long as it's a good thing. And then when it becomes a tired thing, they feel bad again. And so nothing satisfies. Why doesn't anything satisfy? Because we're letting our joy be determined by a vanity. You know. Good things, bad things, everything under the sun is vanity. It's passing away. And therefore, anything built on them will be passing away. But Christian joy is not built upon the sand. It is built upon the rock of Jesus Christ. And it endures. And therefore, Christian joy endures. Now, as I'll point out, Christian joy is not jalility. It's not uh, a, a, the, the keep on the sunny side of life at all times. There were times when even our Lord and Savior himself wept. There are times that Christians grieve. But even in that grief, you are always to look to the cause of your joy and gladness. We don't grieve in the same way others grieve without joy. We don't despair in the way others despair. In fact, we probably don't despair because we have that joy. We're not frustrated in the way that others are frustrated if we're looking unto Christ because we have that joy. And so he tells us, let your moderation be known to all. Uh, I think the ESV translates it reasonableness. Uh, Most modern translations will either translate it forbearance or uh, gentleness. Uh, uh, It it means yieldedness. It kind of has all those connotations in it. Really, the English word that best gets at what Paul is saying, but it comes with loaded, so it's not used, but is genteelness. Now, this is going to have to do some explaining. You know how the difference between uh, the way uh, old money and new money sort of behave, the stereotypical way. Uh, New money, they're very much proud of their wealth and want to keep it, and they tend to be very snobbish, but but the old money has a reputation. It may not be this way in reality, but this is sort of the picture. They're very comfortable, and they can slum it with the best of them because they're not really worried about their position in society, it's secure. And so they, they can be with anybody and nobody's going to bring them down, right? And they tend to be a little bit laid back. 
In that sense is what Paul is talking about with genteelness here. It's not the hoity-toity. It's not the wealth. We're not talking about Christians are supposed to be uh, the hobnobs in society. What he is saying, though, is that we're comfortable with whatever situation we're in. We're not going to let it bother us because we have a firm foundation in Jesus Christ. So that if we are in prison in Rome and have our fate resting on one of the most arbitrary of arbitrary Caesars in Rome, Nero, we could take that as, as just another day and serving the Lord and find the joy in it and a cause to rejoice, as we've seen Paul already do so. That we can be Euodius or Syntyche, and we have our work we're doing for the Lord in whatever way it was. And, and there's this, this other uh, godly woman doing her work. And yeah, they kind of they have a friction and a clash. And you wish that some, a little more attention was given to your work. But you know, what she's doing is good for the Lord too. And we'll both keep on going. Hers is getting all the attention. Mine's not. But I'm not going to let it bother me. I mean, that's exactly what Paul was saying. That in chapter 1, uh, there were those that were preaching the gospel to spite him in prison. But what did he care? They were preaching the gospel. And so Christ was magnified even through his bonds. Their, their sin, now it wasn't a sin of heresy. It wasn't a sin of a false gospel. But whatever their sin was, personal animus, which also exists within the church, nevertheless was being used for the glory of Christ. And so Paul is genteel about it. There's a place to rejoice and not to be bitter. And this is the way, and this is the only way, by the way, um, that we can go through life with this admonition and fulfill this admonition to rejoice in the Lord always. Because we do live in a place that is set against us. It's necessary because we live in an antagonistic world. If you look in Luke chapter 21, verses 17 through 19, uh, Jesus says unto uh, his people, he says, uh, chapter 21, um, not 20. He says, ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. But there is not a hair on your head that will perish. In your patience possess ye your souls. Now, what he's saying there is pretty much exactly what Paul is saying here. The emphasis is different. Paul is, is emphasizing that which we are to be grateful for. Jesus is emphasizing the necessity that we are going to be in the conflict. But both presume the same sort of thing. And the, the self-possession, uh, not that we're relying upon ourselves apart from Christ, but realizing where we stand in Christ, so that we can endure the antagonism. So that we can endure the hardship. So that we can also endure the blessing. Because there are times and there are Christians whose worst thing that ever happened to them is that they prosper in the world. Uh, we, we see this in the ministry. We see this, though, everywhere. That all of a sudden their troubles are all gone and then their reliance upon the Lord uh, falters and they start to rely upon their prosperity and they grow cold. And God has to either reclaim them 
or he uses it to expose a heart that wasn't founded upon Christ to begin with. It is in yielding to the Lord and putting him first that we can take our joy in whatever circumstances that we find ourselves in. I've already mentioned it. I'll just read it to reinforce it. In chapter 1, verse 12. But I would that ye should understand, brethren, because they were worried about it, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. This is not a setback, people. So that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. One to preach Christ of contention, not sincerely, but supposing to add affliction to my bonds. But the others of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. What then? Notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and I, therein do I rejoice. There is my joy. He's actively seeking it. In a hard situation, it is hard. The way Paul describes this, this would, this would offend anyone. And it's not to say that Paul didn't struggle with this. But he's got to the point where the Holy Spirit wants him. He's looking unto Christ. So he says, what then? Notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and therein do I rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Holy Spirit in Christ Jesus, according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also, Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That looking unto the whole, looking unto Christ, looking and putting his interest in Christ's interests, he has a situation that is personally hard, but he knows ultimately, since his interests are Christ's interests, it is a joyful thing. Now, what is true of the apostle is true of everyone that is Christ's. If your interests are his... Whatever cross you have to bear, and we as a society are bearing a great many crosses right now, are relative to the ultimate glory of our Savior. The presence of the Lord is the decisive uh, aspect. In verse 5 he says, the Lord is at hand. We can let our moderation be known unto all men, for the Lord is at hand. Now, when we read that, we, we have to remember what he's been saying. And in chapter 3, in verse 20 and 21, he says, For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change this vile body and all the things it's going through, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able to subdue all things to himself. Yet omnipotent power. And he's promised great things. So there's that, the, the parousia, the second coming of our Lord, the coming in judgment. You can yield to the offenses of your neighbor. You can yield to the injustices in this world because you know that justice will not be forgotten, that it is in the hands of our Savior. James, be ye also patient, James 5, 8. Establish your hearts 
For the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Our, our Paul in Romans chapter 12, uh, verses 18 through 21. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. And this is that same sort of command, being, let your moderation be known to all. That you're not going to be stimulated by your temper. You're not going to let the passions get ahead of you. You are dominated not by uh, the whims of circumstances, but by your situation and standing in Christ. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Note here, Paul is admonishing Christians, not that justice is beneath them, but that justice is not in their hand, that it will indeed come. Their hope is in the fact that the wicked will be destroyed. Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thy enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil. This is referring to Jesus' command of self-possession. Don't, don't become overwhelmed by your enemy, but possess yourselves. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. presence of the Lord is decisive. But it, Paul is using it here, although when he says the Lord is at hand, almost always in Scripture, this is a reference to judgment. But here, it's, it's a little bit broader than that. Uh, it, the Lord is near you. And as, as, as with as much propriety as possible, because of his own sovereign command, he is at your disposal. He's not far off. You don't have to go quest up a seven-story mountain to get to the Lord. You don't have to go through a great pilgrimage of peril and riddles and quests to get to the divine aid. You don't have to uh, sacrifice all that you have in, in, in worldly goods and, and do this sort of thing. The Lord is near at hand out of grace, as we read in Psalm 145, 17 through 20. The Lord is righteous in all His ways and holy in all His works. The Lord is nigh unto all them that call upon Him, to all that call upon Him in truth. He will fulfill the desire of them that fear Him. He also will hear their cry and save them. The Lord preserveth all them that love Him, but the wicked He shall destroy. This, this is exactly the context that, and remember the context here. Uh, Paul has told us to maintain that settled joy with sort of equanimity with our neighbor. That, that we have that even spirit with all. That we're not tossed to and fro by the uh, vicissitudes of life but that we maintain that constant joy in the Lord. And he's going to give us very practical ways how. And the first of what we're looking at this morning is the fact that Christ is at hand to answer prayer. To hear you. To receive your word not just so he knows what's going on, but that you might be have at your disposal his power. The Lord is at hand and he immediately says uh, to them, be careful for nothing, not that we're carefree, exactly, but that we're not anxious for anything. 
Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto the God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So, you can yield to your neighbor. You could yield to the conflict in this life and to the hardships of this life because Christ is with you. And prayer is the first great way towards that settled joy with moderation, with equanimity, with genteelness in Christ Jesus. Anxious worry has no place with one who trusts the Lord. Now this doesn't mean that you are to have an iron, cold, hairless soul. It doesn't mean that you won't encounter the cares of life. It doesn't mean that you are Spock, who does not emotionally react to anything. It doesn't mean that you're apathetic about what goes on in the world around you. Remember, Paul has already wrote to the Philippians in chapter 2, verse 13, or verse 12, Wherefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. This is not the language of somebody who is to be carefree, right? He means it in a different way. Uh, it means that when you encounter those cares, you're not overrun with them. You're not undone by them. You are not reduced to a, a trembling wreck because you, you can't make your bill payments on time and you can't go see your friends because of the coronavirus lockdowns and you can't earn a living or you, can't, you don't know how you're going to, to go forward in isolation or because of a relationship that's broken or a friend that's turned at enmity against you or if you're the church... And, and you're threatened with life and limb in certain places, does it mean that, that we are just reduced to nothing? But it does mean that we take those real cares and we immediately pour them out to the Lord. You're not to have an iron careless soul because you are to cast those cares upon the Lord Jesus Christ. This is something that is a commonplace amongst us. Go to the Sermon on the Mount, uh, chapter 6. Chapter 6, the entire chapter, deals with this issue. I'm not going to read the entire chapter. I'm going to start reading at verse 31. Therefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall you drink, or wherewithal shall ye be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentile seeks. For your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of all these things. Note that Jesus doesn't say you don't really need them. He's saying that the Lord God knows you need them. And therefore, while you, when you need to be clothed, when you need to be sheltered, when you need to whatever, you take it to Him. Remember, Jesus is the one that told us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. And He doesn't mean there's some sort of mystical, spiritual thing. He's talking about our daily necessities. But having put them in the hand of the one who trusts us, we don't worry about it anymore. This is what we worry about. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these other things shall be added unto you. That's the word of Jesus Christ. And that we ought to understand that, that He will hear us in, 
in, in the, the best way possible. We don't have to worry about how we phrase our prayers. We're not, uh, we're not Arabians rubbing a genie's lamp and afraid that the genie is going to trick us with our wishes. Uh, the Lord desires good things for us. And so in chapter 7 of Matthew, uh, in, also in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, Ask and it shall be given you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. Everyone that asks receives, and he that seeks finds, and to him that knocks it shall be opened. Or what man there is of you? Whom if his son asks bread, will he give him a stone? If he asks a fish, will he give him a serpent? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father which is in heaven give good things that ask of him? The Lord is not seeking to ruin you and tricking you out of a blessing. Our problem is not that we pray and are not heard. Our problem is is that we never think to take our cares and concerns unto the Lord God and put it on Him. And Paul is telling us for that settled joy, this is what you must do. That prayer is there. His peace will keep you... uh, Better than you could devise. That's what peace that passes understanding means. It's not just a peace that is beyond our understanding, although there certainly probably is aspects of what God does for us that is beyond our understanding. But it is a peace that we can comprehend, at least as peace. But it is a peace that we could never attain for ourselves in any other way. There's no way we could go set out to obviate all those worries and concerns. What are you going to do about the society that is acting foolish all around us, that is dangerously uncontrolled and chaotic, that is giving itself into its bestial passions. Is there anything that you or I can do? No. We hope we avoid it. We hope it doesn't come to our community and our town. We hope that an election will at least give a little bit of a... a, a, a dampening effect. But we all know that what we're seeing is is revolutionary. And there's only one that can change the heart of man. And that is the Lord God. And the only one for us not way for us not to be anxious and worried and overcome with the circumstances in which we find ourselves is to be planted on the Lord God. And the only way that we can be assured that He will answer us is if we ask. He is there to give you blessings, and they are there to be had for the asking. And so often we find ourselves in an unsettled despair. And joy evades us because we do not ask. And why do we not ask? Because we do not believe. But there is a peace that's right at hand. When Paul says the Lord is at hand, one of the things he means is that peace of answered prayer, a peace of just heard prayer. Very often the peace of the Lord comes before, uh, before the prayer is even finished, 
before you know whether He's answered it or not because you know He's heard it and He's told you. So many of the Psalms are David. They start out with, with these supplications and these grave uh, lists of things that are burdening his soul. But when you get to the end of it, you find that he is comforted. Not because the Lord has already dealt with his enemies or his situation, but because he knows the Lord has heard him and he knows the situation is in good hands. This is your promise. It's your charter of prayer. It's your constitutional rights, if you will. We have no right before the Lord of ourselves. There's nothing in our created. The creature cannot say to the Creator, Why have you made me thus? But the Lord Himself has covenanted with us. He has bound Himself to us by His Lord Jesus Christ. And He has given us certain uh, privileges and rights that He expects us to make use of. And the first and foremost of them is just talking to Him. Prayer. And we can't complain about our situation in this world if we're not bringing it to the Lord in prayer. And why doesn't the Lord fix this? Have you asked Him to fix this? Have you poured out your soul to Him? Remember, the Lord doesn't want you necessarily to come to Him with bright religious phrases. When David prays, it is heartfelt and sometimes border on blasphemous. Because it's honest and sincere. Have you poured out your sincere worries to the Lord? If you haven't, you're not going to get the peace that comes from Him. So here's some admonitions as we look at our, close out our service. First, the fact that there is the command to rejoice in the Lord always. That sounds so positive, and it is positive. But it also comes with a certain sort of reality in this world. You must have a patient forbearance. You have to let your moderation be known to all, all people. Because Christian joy is, as I said before, it's not flippant jollity. It's not flippant happy-go-luckiness. It is not always being bright and sunny. It is a joy that can and it must endure the cross. It can and must endure sorrow. It can and it must endure frustration. Because this is a frustrating world. It can and it must endure grief. Our Savior in all these things went before us. And we can go too. Because we have Him to rely upon Him. And so there is also no settled joy without real prayer. Now here's a point that I didn't bring up in verse 6. To kind of help us in remembering the comforts of prayer. In verse 6, Paul says, He says, Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto the Lord. Gratitude is the great battery of prayer. It is the great uh, energizer of prayer. There is no prayer really without thanksgiving. Because gratitude feeds first faith. When you recognize to the Lord, you've answered this prayer and I'm grateful for you, that also feeds back your trust in the Lord to hear your prayer. Because you're actually naming before Him the prayers that He's heard. And so, thanksgiving strengthens our faith. It also feeds the joy to endure. 
Because when we acknowledge His mercies, then we can be all the more confident that He will be merciful. When we see His judgment and we acknowledge it, not just kind of, ooh, that's nice and go on, but we acknowledge it and remember it, it strengthens our experience of the Lord's providence so that we will all the more go into prayer. Prayer is a circle that feeds upon itself in a certain way. Our, our desire, the habit of prayer. As we go to thank the Lord, we're more confident that He hears us, so we'll bring more supplications and requests to Him. And as we bring more supplications and requests to Him, He will answer more and more because He has promised to do so. And as we acknowledge that, we will grow more and more to know just how much the Lord is at hand, and that will give us a certain peace, a peace that passes understanding and a peace that we could not gain for ourselves. That is the duty, the privilege, and the joy of being in Christ Jesus. But it's not have without prayer. So let's pray. Our Father and our God, we come before you this morning in the name of Christ. Our Savior, the one who taketh away our sin, and the one who has made us peace with you. And we ask your Lord that you would give us the fullness of that peace, that we would know that whatever tumult we find ourselves in this world, whatever anxious thoughts press heavily upon us, whatever worry, whatever weakness, whatever disappointment, that we know that we have you, and we have you close at hand. Feed our faith, dear Lord, that we might come to you often, that we might never uh, shrink back from approaching you. We ask, dear Lord, that you would give us the faith and spirit of prayer, that we might indeed rejoice always in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.